Grab your Bible, if you would, and turn to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. We are continuing our series through the, the book of Genesis. And so last week, uh, end of chapter 8, in the beginning of chapter 9, uh, we saw that Noah came off the ark after the flood, as God had called him off, and he worshipped God. God blessed Noah. God reestablished his purposes for man. Not that God had ever wavered in that, but that man was so full of sin that judgment was needed. And then following judgment, God brings man back to his purposes from Genesis chapter 2. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth with people to worship God. And so let's pray, and then we'll read our passage for, the, for today. Let's pray. Father God, again, we are in need of you. We thank you that you have given us your word And yet now we need your spirit to open our minds and hearts to receive from your word and what you would have for us this morning. So please uh, work and move among us, conform us to the image of Christ for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Genesis chapter 9, and we are starting in verse 8. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you, And your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you, and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds... I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. And so here we are looking at God's covenant. Uh, We want to define that. Again, if you remember a few weeks ago, we looked at that in chapter 6 and verse 18 was the first time we saw the word covenant used when God told Noah before the flood, I will establish my covenant with you. And then uh, here now in verse 8, we begin to see this word covenant again, and we'll see it uh, multiple times uh, more often. So a covenant is a binding agreement between two parties. It's a binding agreement between two parties. A covenant can be made between two people. We see that at times. Uh, in the Bible, but mainly in Scripture, we see covenant established between God and man. And so God sets forth a relationship with the one part of his creation that he has made in his very own image, and that, of course, is hitting man, male and female. And so God's covenant is his relationship agreement between himself and man. So when you see the word covenant in Scripture, immediately think of God relating to and relating with 
his people. And so there are parameters that are, are laid out as part of this relationship agreement, how we will relate to one another. So look more closely here at verse 8, uh, excuse me, verse 9. We see God say here, I establish my covenant with you. All right, so think about that with me. First, God says, I establish, right? First two words, I establish. This covenant is not based upon man, but it's based upon God. It's based upon his plans and his purposes. This isn't something that man creates or thinks up in his own mind. It's not by man's choice that this covenant relationship with God Almighty is established. This is God's doing. God establishes this covenant relationship with his creation. If God is not the one who establishes this covenant, it doesn't happen. He is the creator. I establish, God says. And next he says two words, my covenant. My covenant. It is his. This covenant is on God's terms. Again, he sets the parameters. He defines what it will be. He sets forth the regulations to uh, watch over this covenant relationship. And why? Why does God get to do that? <laughs> Simply because he is God, right? He's the creator. He's the potter. He's the one doing the molding. He is God. And it's his covenant. So God says, I establish my covenant with you. With you. And so here in Genesis chapter 9, we see that God will have covenant relationship with Noah. Noah is now the direct benefactor of God's covenant with man. I, God, establish my covenant with you, Noah. And so the ways in which God desires to relate to all of mankind will now be established with Noah. Later on, we're going to talk about the new covenant. I establish my covenant with you. This is a personal statement, right? It's personal here for Noah, with you, Noah. And yet, when God covenants with his people, you and I, it's a personal thing for us as well. Establish my covenant with you. And so, again, this is what God said he would do, right, before the flood. He told Noah, I will establish my covenant with you. Now, after the flood, God says, I establish my covenant with you. God is doing what he said he would do. God is faithful to his word. And we can take that to heart, too. We have God's word that we can read. is true. We can study. We can look it over. God is faithful to his word. Everything here is true and believable from beginning to end. And we can stand on that. God is faithful to his word. And so here in this covenant, there are some specific aspects of the covenant that, that God establishes here with Noah. But we also have to see this in, in a, a bigger sense throughout the Bible as God continuing a covenant with mankind. Turn back to chapter 2. Okay, we're going to do a kind of a fly through the Bible and see this. Genesis chapter 2. Here we read again of the original establishment of God's covenant, of how he would relate to man. 
It's not called covenant here, but he's setting forth the, this relationship. So in verse 7, God creates man. In verse 15, God puts man in the garden full of blessing to work it and to keep it. In verse 16, God gives man a command of what he can and cannot eat. There are parameters in this relationship. Verse 22, God creates woman for man. Verse 24, God establishes a marriage relationship for man. And so this is the establishment, the foundation of God's covenant, of how he would relate to the people that he had created in his own image. And so then God blesses and God gives the parameters of this relationship. He defines what the relationship will be all about. Man doesn't get to say, this is how I want to relate to you, God. God sets the parameters. He sets the relationship. I establish my covenant with you. All right, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Due to sin, man's disobedience and rebellion, there is now a break in this covenant relationship. Man breaks covenant with God. And so the broken relationship now needs to be repaired. And because this is God's covenant, he alone can repair it. This is God's. He alone can provide the means of salvation for this relationship, of saving this relationship. And so we know from earlier in Scripture that sin requires death, right? Death means a sacrifice of life. And a sacrifice of life is proven or shown forth by the shedding of blood, right? So throughout Scriptures, we see blood that's telling us that there has been a death, right? A death sacrifice. And so this is part of what needs to happen now for the saving, the repairing of this relationship. And so from Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 and forward, in order for this covenant relationship to continue, there must be this salvation, which carries two elements, two things that we'll see again and again. First, there must be death shown by blood. Death is a consequence of sin. And second, a faith response from man. So blood and faith. So we'll keep an eye out for those two things, blood and faith. Now in uh, chapter 3, as we continue, we see in verse 20 here that Adam responds to God by naming his, uh, his wife Eve, right? Mother of all living. That's her name. And so this is an act of faith, believing what God has said, that she would bear children, right? And so here's an element of faith. And then in verse 21, immediately following, God makes them clothes of animal skins, right? Well, that means that animals had to die. There had to be sacrifice. There was blood shed in order for that to happen. And so this covenant relationship between God and man is repaired. It is saved by God's grace through faith. Right? You've heard that before, right? Ephesians chapter 2, you're saved by grace through faith. It's been the same all along. God must do the work. Man must respond in faith and in faithful obedience to God. Back in chapter 3 and verse 15, we read of the woman's offspring. 
this promised Savior. This is looking forward to the new covenant. Again, we'll look at that in a, a bit here. Looking forward to the new covenant that will come. So God says, I establish my covenant with you. Flip back to chapter 9. Okay, again, here in chapter 9 with Noah, God reconfirms his covenant relationship with man through Noah. He had judged man for his sin, but his covenant continues. His covenant promises continue. There's also this preservation of offspring through Noah, right? Think about that. Genesis 3, God promises an offspring of the woman, right? We know that's Jesus Christ. He's coming. That is now also preserved within Noah, right? Noah's in the line of Jesus Christ between Adam and, and Jesus. And so there's the preservation of this offspring here with Noah as well. I establish my covenant with you. Flip to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, God calls a man named Abram. He calls him. He will give him a place and a people and a prosperity, Right? They'll give him land, descendants, many descendants, and great blessing. People, place, and prosperity. So God calls Adam, Abram in chapter 12, and then flip over to chapter 15. In chapter 15, here we see this covenant continuing with Abram. Chapter 15, verse 2. Uh, Abram says, I don't have a child yet, right? I'm old. How is all of this going to come to me, this, these descendants, this blessing, all this land. How is this coming to me? Verse 4, God says, you will have a son. I will do this. All right? I will do this. Verse 6, we see that Abram believed God. All right? There's faith. All right? He believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. There's faith. Verse 10, there is an animal sacrifice. There is blood shed with God and Abram. And then verse 18 says that the Lord made a covenant with Abram. God continues his relationship with his people. I establish my covenant with you. Skip ahead, Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22, God does what he said he would do. Surprise? Shouldn't be, right? We know that God will do what he says he will do. He does what he says he would do. Abram has a son of promise named Isaac. All right? But in chapter 2, in verse 2, uh, chapter 22, verse 2, God tells Abram to sacrifice his son, Isaac. Kill him. Sacrifice him. This will cause some questions, right? After all, this was the son of the promise. This was the son of the covenant and the continuing covenant of God and man. Verse 10, Abram has faith. He has his knife in his hand. He's about to kill his son. Tremendous faith. Trust in God. Being obedient to God. Verse 12, God stops him. Don't do it. Verse 13, God provides a substitute sacrifice. There is blood shed. All right? Substitute sacrifice. I establish my covenant with you. 
flip over next book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, the nation of Israel is now enslaved in Egypt. God is bringing judgment on Egypt for their sin. God is going to kill all the firstborn males in every household. Judgment for sin. Verse 6, every Israelite household is to select a lamb to kill. Every household, take a lamb and you're going to kill it. There is blood shed, right? There is a sacrifice. There's death. Verse 7, they are to put the blood on the doorposts of their house. There's the blood sign. Verse 13, death judgment would therefore not come to the houses with the blood on the doorposts. This is what we call Passover, right? The judgment of death would pass over the Israelite houses. It would not come to those houses. And so this is continued covenantal relationship. Verse 28, the people did what God told them to do. They actually killed the lamb and put the blood on their doorposts. This is faith, right? Believing what God has said, following his command, doing what he said. So they actually do it. So there's blood, there's faith. I establish my covenant with you. Flip over to chapter 20 of Exodus. Exodus chapter 20. Here we see uh, the Ten Commandments given to the people, continuing throughout chapter 20, all the way through chapter 23 of Exodus. The law is given, right? The law is given to the nation of Israel. This is how I, God, will relate to you, my people. This is how you, my people, are to relate to me, your God. That's covenant. That's covenant. And then in chapter 24 of Exodus. Chapter 24, we see that this covenant is confirmed. Covenant is confirmed. In chapter 24, look at verse 3. It says, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Jump down to verse 7. Then he, Moses, took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. There's faith, right? Now we know they faltered later, right? But here's faith. They're, they're on board. They're agreeing to this covenant relationship that God has set forth and all of its parameters, right? All the people are on board with this. Yes, we believe we will do this. Look back at verse 5. And he, Moses, sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Skip to verse 8. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So here's the, the blood, here's the death, the sacrifices being offered. Now, most 
versions of your Bible, if you have different than the ESV, most of your Bibles will say Moses sprinkled the blood, right? Sprinkled the blood. So I have some uh, bucket of water here. Don't worry, it's not blood. It's just water, all right? So sprinkle is kind of a little flick of the water, right? And no big deal. But that's not accurate to the wording that's here when it says sprinkle. The ESV is more accurate when it says through. Moses threw it. You ready? Yeah? No? So Moses took the blood and he threw it. Boop, too much over there. Not a good throw. We'll get you guys over here too. He threw it, all right? So that's what Moses does here. He throws it in the air and it lands on the people. It lands on the altar. It lands on the, the book, the law written out. There's blood. What's that? You had faith I wouldn't do it? Faith is all about who you have faith in. You should know me better than that. All right. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 says this. You don't have to turn there. Hebrews 9 22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sins. And so death was needed. Man, ever since the fall, Genesis chapter 3, man cannot be in relationship with God without sin being judged. And the right judgment for sin is death. And the blood is the symbol of that death. And if you were in that crowd of people and had blood thrown upon you, you'd be reminded of the death that was needed in order for you to be in covenant relationship with God. I establish my covenant with you. We're going to jump ahead. Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah. Old Testament prophet, Jeremiah chapter 31. If you can't find it, don't worry. Just listen along. Otherwise, if you can find it, a few books after the Psalms. Jeremiah chapter 31. Here we read of a new covenant that will be coming. A new covenant that will be coming. Jeremiah chapter 31, starting in verse 31. Here's what we read. Behold... The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with a house of Israel and a house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. Remember last week, Pastor Jeremy talked about that word remember, same kind of thing. It's to be mindful of. Right? I will be mindful of their sin no more. All right? 
God says here that there is a new covenant that is coming. I establish my covenant with you. Turn over to New Testament, Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke in the New Testament. Luke 22. Luke chapter 22. This is the Last Supper. Jesus and his disciples together celebrating the Passover together for the last time before his death on a cross the next day. Luke 22, look at verse 19. And he, Jesus, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So here, Jesus is establishing a new covenant. This is how man and God will now relate. It will be through Jesus Christ himself. Jesus here is speaking of his sacrificial death, right? His blood being shed. So there's the blood, and of course we know that there is a faith response by man that is needed. We must believe in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is called the New Covenant. Why new? Why is it called new? This is a new covenant because it is now complete. It's final. It's eternal. It's everlasting. Eternal life with God is found only in the new covenant that is established by the blood sacrifice of Jesus, his death for you. This covenant relationship is now mediated by Jesus Christ with all who have faith in him. I establish my covenant with you. Turn farther in your Bible, Hebrews chapter 9. We're getting closer to the end of the Bible here. Two-thirds of the way or so through the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 9. I want to show you this covenant connection here, okay? Hebrews chapter 9 and 10 especially are two great chapters that show the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, I want to challenge you to read these two chapters later. Originally, I was going to do this as a charge at the end of the service. I have a different charge, but here's a uh, a sub-charge. I don't know if that's a thing. But here's my encouragement. Read through chapters 9 to 10 sometime later today, over lunch this afternoon. All right? Um, The connection between Old Testament and New Testament. Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to read a few verses here, starting with verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he, Jesus, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ 
who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he, Christ, is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since the death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So God has established relationship with man. Because of sin, there must be blood sacrifice and faith response. The blood sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient once for all. There is no more need for death. I establish my covenant with you. Turn to Revelation chapter 21, all the way to the end of your Bible, last book of the Bible, almost to the very end, Revelation chapter 21. Here we'll read of the culmination of the covenant. This is the climax of the story. This is the highlight. This is what everything since Genesis 3 is leading towards. This is the final destination of God's covenant relationship with man. Revelation 21, starting verse 1. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. All of what we've seen so far is leading up to this. This is where we're headed. This is eternal. This will never end. I establish my covenant with you. I establish my covenant with you. So we've made our way throughout the Bible here. And I want to encourage you as a side note that you need to be reading your Bible. You need to be reading all of Scripture in order to see this. We must live by the authority of God's Word. You can only do this if you're reading it, if you're spending time in it. All of it, from Genesis to Revelation, it's all God's Word. We need to have a comprehensive understanding of our Bibles. Read it in big chunks, not just a verse or two. I know it's easy in the busyness of life just to get a verse or two and then get on with your day. You need to be reading big chunks, chapters at a time. Spend time reading your Bibles. If you want to truly mature in your faith, you must take in God's Word. You must take in lots of God's Word. I encourage you to do that more and more. All right, so you might be thinking, what does all of this have to do with Noah, right? Turn back to Genesis 9. Back to Genesis chapter 9 here. So there is this overarching covenant relationship that God has with man. God says, this is how I will relate to you, my people. This is how you, my people, are to relate to me. And yet here with Noah, there is more specific, uh, asp- a more specific aspect given. 
right? A more specific aspect established. Uh, look at verse 11. I establish my covenant with you. What, are, what does that involve? That never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. So within this overarching covenant, here's an, another aspect given, uh, given verbally, uh, given to Moses. This is a covenantal promise of God addressing how he would relate to man and how he would relate to his creation. Judgment has come once by this means, but it will not come again. Judgment for sin will still come. There's still judgment for sin coming, but not by way of a total worldwide flood. And so this is a promise that God makes to Noah. And if God promises it, he will do it, right? We can believe that. And again, also included here in this covenant with Noah, we talked about from Genesis 3.15 is the, the offspring. The woman's offspring that will come and crush Satan, will destroy Satan, is preserved here in Noah. If Noah and his sons die in the flood, there is no more relationship between God and man. It's over, right? Man is destroyed. Man is gone. But God preserves the woman's offspring he preserves it with Noah. And so there is a continuing covenant relationship. All right, next I want to look at God's bow, this symbol, this sign that God gives here. Look at verse 12. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So here we read that there is a sign given for the, the covenant. And again, certainly there are specific aspects of God's covenant with Noah, but also it's a sign of greater covenant. God is in covenant relationship with mankind. You know, depending upon your translation of the Bible that you may have, it might be called a bow or it might be called a rainbow. Right? And we certainly understand this to be a rainbow that is in the sky, in the clouds. However, we, we also need to understand that the word here used in Genesis is literally bow. Okay? It's bow. It is referring to an archer's bow. That's the term that's used. You'll see that throughout uh, Scripture, throughout the Old Testament, when they pick up their bows to, to fight. Right? It's part of their armor, part of their... Um, uh, war, uh, gear, it's actually a literal bow is the word being used here. And it, obviously it's shaped, the rainbow is shaped like an archer's bow. But the picture here in the rainbow is that of a warrior hanging up his bow, right? Hanging up his bow. The judgment of the flood is over, right? He's not on the attack anymore. The war bow is hung, and there is covenant of peace and mercy, right? Man, for a time, will not get what his sin deserves. The rainbow is a sign of God's mercy. Now look at verse 16. In verse 16, who looks at the bow that is hung? 
Who looks upon it? God does, right? God looks upon the bow. Verse 16, when the bow is in the clouds, God says, I will see it. And remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. Again, here's that word remember. I will not be considerate of, I will not be mindful of it. Uh, excuse me, I, in this case, I will be mindful of it. I will be, remember, I will be mindful of the covenant between myself, God, and, and man. So God looks at the bow in the clouds, and he is mindful of his everlasting covenant with man. He looks upon the rainbow and is full of patience and mercy towards man. God covenants with man. And so whenever you see the rainbow in the sky, think of the archer's war bow that has been hung, right? There is, judgment is um, being held off. God is merciful. He's not using it anymore. Be reminded of his mercy and be reminded of God's faithfulness in his covenant relationship with man. Sometimes with our kids, we look at the rainbow and we talk about the specific covenant of, with Noah. And that's good. We should do that. But also be sure to talk with them about the, the bigger overarching covenant uh, of, of God, and especially leading into the new covenant. Okay, so as we think uh, about the bow, the rainbow, most of the time for us today, most of the time you and I don't see the rainbow in the clouds. We see that sometimes, right? But that's not where we see it most often, is it? Where do we see it most often? On flags, on T-shirts, on bumper stickers, on campaign ads, etc., etc. Gay pride, right? So it's been taken as a symbol of gay pride, right? Those of an unbiblical worldview have stolen a rainbow. They've hijacked it. This is outright rebellion against God. It's sinful. It's evil. Taking what God has placed as a symbol of his mercy and celebrating their sin with it. They've taken this sign that God has given to showcase his goodness, his mercy. They've used it as a sign of hatred toward him. The sign of God's patience towards sinners, demonstrating his kindness that should lead toward repentance, is turned around and used to spit back in his face. This is willful disobedience and sin against God. God has designed male and female, husband and wife. And many have rebelled against that with great hostility. They live outside of God's design. They disregard his commands. And they celebrate their rebellion and demand that you do it along with them. They paint a rainbow over it all to try to make it look nice and pretty. And yet it doesn't work, not in God's eyes. I find it ironic that the covenant sign coming after the flood, judgment, is what is used to celebrate sin. Right? People who use the rainbow flag in this way take great pride in their sin. 
They're looking for identity. They're looking to belong. But instead of looking to God, the creator, for their identity, instead of looking to him to see what he says about them, they look to their own sin, their own wants, their own desires. And it's in their own sin that they find their identity, and the sin is celebrated. It's rejoiced over. People would only look at the rainbow and consider it alongside the judgment of the flood. They would see that sin needs to be judged, and there's great judgment coming. They could repent. They could turn to Christ. They could have forgiveness. They could have new life. They could have a new identity. But people love darkness rather than light. They love their sin, and they hate God. They rejoice over their pride that will one day be judged. If they continue in their unbelief, they will experience the same eternal death as those who died in the flood of Noah's day. Now, before we think of ourselves more highly than we ought, let's consider our response to this. How do we respond to this? Let's take a little time for self-reflection here. Gay pride comes from an unbiblical worldview, a way of looking at the world and life and everything that comes through a lens other than the Bible, an unbiblical worldview. So here's a question for us to consider. Where are we individually, maybe corporately as the church, where are we tempted towards an unbiblical worldview? How about in our casual approach to believers, dating unbelievers? How about not fighting for our marriages, taking divorce too lightly? How about our resistance toward God-given authority in government, in the church, in our homes? How about our diminishing view of the authority and sufficiency of God's word given to us? Where we tempted individually and corporately as a church toward prideful rebellion. I don't need God's rule in my life. I'll do things my way. If you and I aren't getting along, I'm going to blame you. I'm going to leave you behind. All right? My service to God is way more important than what you're doing. All right? You should really work hard to be more like me because I've got it together. I should be the one serving that way. I should be the one teaching the Bible study. You should look to me. Right? How could you wrestle with that sin? Right? We're tempted in these ways. We're tempted towards an unbiblical worldview. We're tempted towards great pride in our lives. May we consider these things. May we come to God in repentance. Lastly, I want to look briefly at how do we engage with our culture? How do we engage with a culture that is in rebellion against God? This can certainly apply to gay pride, that movement, but it applies to a multitude of other areas. A few quick things. First, we must see people as they are. We must see people as they are. We don't sugarcoat it. Their heart is evil. I'm talking about unbelievers now. 
and rebellion against God. Their heart is evil. They're sinful. They're separated from God because of their sin. We must see them as they are. Second, we can teach and demonstrate true biblical love. Teach to them, demonstrate to them, to them. True biblical love. True love speaks truth. Right? True love speaks truth. Don't flatter them. Yes, be kind. Yes, be gracious. Be nice, but speak truthfully. Third, warn them of judgment. Warn them of judgment. Sin has consequence. It will be judged by a holy God. If they don't know how bad their sin is and what's coming as a result of that, they won't see their need for Christ. Warn them of judgment. Fourth thing, preach the gospel. Tell them of the Savior who left heaven to come to earth. Tell them of his perfect righteous life. Tell them of his substitutionary death on a cross. Tell them of his resurrection to life. Tell them of his rule and reign over all things. Preach the gospel. Lastly, fifth, encourage them towards faith and repentance. Encourage them towards faith and repentance. Encourage them to lay down their pride, to put off their sin, and to trust in Jesus. Jesus Christ invites the vilest of sinners to come to him in faith and find forgiveness for their sin and eternal life with God. Now, before I pray, if you struggle with some of these things, gay pride things, temptations towards homosexuality or those things, come and talk, if you would, to me, to one of our elders. God is gracious to forgive. He's a merciful God. And there is a path forward from that. So please come and talk. Let's pray. Father God, thank you again for your word today. Thank you that it's true from beginning to end. Help us to be a people who read it and know it and live it so that we can be conformed more in the image of Christ, that we can live more and more for your honor and your glory in all things. So thank you for your word. By your spirit, bring application to us and give us boldness to actually live it out. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The charge. So Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says to his disciples, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Brothers and sisters, you are witnesses for Jesus Christ and Rhinelander and in Wisconsin and to the ends of the earth. So the charge is this. Engage our culture with true biblical love. Don't be ashamed. Speak truth with great love. Engage our culture with true biblical love. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us, that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. I love you. Have a great week in the Lord.